let's take out our Bibles and begin our study time together. We're going to continue our worship service or our series um, just as we would have if we were meeting under normal circumstances. So this morning our passage is going to be 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 11. 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 through 11. One of the major points of emphasis in 1 John is discerning the true from the false. John will say later in 1 John, be careful that you test the spirits to see whether they are true or they are false. Be careful that you evaluate the prophet, whether he be a true prophet or a false prophet. And there's a major emphasis here in 1 John, not just in our text, but throughout these five chapters, on being careful that we discern the difference between true faith and a false faith a faith that saves, and a faith that cannot save. Virtually every New Testament writer has his own version of this assessment of true versus false faith. The best known of these is in James, where James says that faith without works is dead. Here John speaks, as in last week's passage, of a degree of faith that compels us to say the right things, while living in a way that's in complete contradiction to the confession that we make. We're going to see that again in our passage this morning. In fact, we've titled this whole series, this whole five-chapter series in 1 John, This is How We Know. Our passage this morning begins, This is How We Are Sure. And then again later in verse 5, This is How We Know. Specific to verses 3 through 11 in chapter 2, is the idea of knowing with absolute certainty that we are in Him. If it is true that we may say the right things while living a life that's in contradiction to our confession, and that that marks us off as those holding false faith, if that is true, John says, this is how you can know with certainty that you are in Him. This is how you evaluate what you do in your actions with what you say with your mouth. This is how we test our consistency, to see that what we say with our mouth is truly consistent with what we believe sincerely in our heart. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 3. God's Word says, This is how we are sure that we have come to know Him, by keeping His commands. The one who says, I have come to know Him, yet doesn't keep His commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing to you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard. Yet I am writing you a new command which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother remains in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes." May the Lord bless the reading and the teaching of his word. So the question that hangs over our passage is this. How can we be sure that we have come to know Jesus? 
one of the real benefits of these seasons in life, and they come invariably, is that we're brought face to face with the reality that we are mortal beings, that our mortal life is not eternal, that life is but a vapor. We are here today and we are gone tomorrow. Our life is a wisp of smoke on a windy day. It will very soon, very quickly fade away. And there are many people, I suspect, across the, uh, this country and around the world who are being faced, um, forced to reckon with their own mortality, who are asking some difficult questions of themselves with regards to their relationship with Jesus, those outside the Christian faith, asking difficult questions of their assessment of various world faiths, and perhaps even asking demanding questions of the Christian faith and our ability to answer or respond to what we see unfolding in the world around us. You've heard me speak often. I feel as though the great opponent to my ministry in the Bible Belt South for the past 15 years has not been radical atheism. It's not another world religion. It's a modified form of the gospel that really is not reflective of the gospel of Jesus Christ at all. It's what I call a folk religion that uses all of the same terminology, that communicates in many of the same ways and often is celebrated beneath steeples, but is utterly inconsistent with the teaching of the Scripture. How do we know, given all of the competing theologies that exist in the world today, that we have come to know the Father through Jesus? How can we rest assured that what we have in our relationship with Jesus is a true faith that saves to the uttermost. John helps us to understand some answers to that here in verses 3 through 11. Verse 3 reads, This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. Jesus says a number of times, quoted in the Gospel of John, If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Jesus equates faithful obedience to his command with an expression of love for him. I, I can judge uh, the affections of my children based on their faithfulness to what I require of them. There, there are times, obviously, when um, there's a need for discipline to bring about correction, and the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. There's a time when we are motivated by the fear of the Lord. But I want that my children are better motivated by a love and respect for their father than anything else. Jesus says, I know when my children love me because they're faithful to my commands. The first way that we can be sure that we have come to know Jesus is that we observe in ourselves a faithfulness to obey his commands. I get as many questions um, about security and salvation as most anything else in ministry. People come and they say, uh, I'm not sure about my salvation. I had this experience at some point in time in my life. And what I have observed through the years is that most of the times, uh, the doubts that have come up in a person's heart and mind are usually the result of what they see in themselves. It may not be a looking at the gospel and having uh, doubts or, or cynicism about the gospel. They may not be skeptical at all in that sense, but they see the life that they're living and they wonder, how in the world can I live the life that I'm living at the present hour 
and truly be a faithful follower of Jesus? I don't always have good answers for those kinds of questions, but I, I can say that their observation is, is right. It is, it is correct. It's a healthy, wholesome, spiritual observation. We should not live as the rest of the world lives as a follower of Jesus Christ. Clearly, we're all in process. We're all being sanctified. We're all walking in sustaining grace. Uh, there are sin issues that have to be addressed in our life on an everyday basis. John helped us to understand and to balance some of this in the passage that we looked at last week. He, he told us there, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say that we've never sinned, we're, we're a liar and we make God a liar and we're deceiving ourselves and his, his word is not in us. The issue at hand here is, is not the ability to obey constantly as though we have been freed from our sinful nature or uh, the capacity to sin. We, we are sti still very much uh, strugglers with sin so long as we are uh, wandering here on this earth. But there ought to be a want and earnest desire to do what God has called us to do. There ought to be a willingness to bring our life into conformity with the likeness and image of Jesus, to be faithful to the commands that he sets before us. There are times when we sort of meander into sin. This has been my experience. There are times when I find myself in sin and I did not make a conscious decision to involve myself in that sin. And then there are times when I observe people making a conscious decision to do something that's in direct violation to God's word. That kind of conscious violation of God's word should give us pause. It ought to make us step back and examine ourselves, evaluate ourselves to see that indeed we are in the faith. The first mark, the first uh, certainty that John gives us with regards to knowing Jesus, the first way that we can know that we have come to know Jesus is by our faithfulness to keep his commands. Again, John speaks with such clarity and such concrete terms here. The one who says, I've come to know him, yet doesn't keep his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. In recent years, it's become somewhat popular to attach all kinds of adjectives to the Christian faith. Um, we talk about American Christianity. We talk about Western Christianity. We talk about Eastern Christianity. And, and more recently, especially in the West, there have been efforts at attaching uh, adjectives that speak of lifestyles which are outside of acceptability for the Christian faith. All of those adjectives are unnecessary, but those adjectives that suggest that we can add unrighteousness to the practice of the Christian faith are contradictory in terms. That you, you simply cannot make a conscious decision to live outside of the will of God and legitimately say, say with any validity whatsoever, that I am a follower of Jesus, that I have a real relationship with Jesus by, by li while living in absolute defiance of his commands. There are times when as new believers, we're simply unaware. I, I think of the early days of my journey with Jesus. Uh, if we're in a race, I started much farther back in the pack than, than many others do. But as I learned what the Lord required of me, what was expected of me, there, there was a, a, an earnestness to do what God wanted for me to do. Waking up every day and opening God's word and simply asking of the text, God, what does this passage require of me today? And then laboring through the course of that day to do what God expected of me. The grace that we speak of, 
the grace that has been afforded us through Jesus Christ is not a license to sin. It is a liberty from sin. We have found in Jesus the freedom and the capacity by the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit to walk faithfully in accordance with the commands that God has set before us. In the last sentence of verse number 5, John says, This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now, in some ways, this is a bit of a summary statement of what, all, what has already been stated in verses 3, 4, and the first part of verse number 5. But there's a touch of a new idea that's been introduced here as well. I want to read again and continue on into verses 7 and 8. John says this again in the last sentence of verse 5. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command that you've had from the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verses 7 and 8 can read sort of uh, confusingly, especially depending upon which translation you're reading. In essence, what John is saying here is that I'm calling upon you to be faithful to the old command with a new perspective. Again, in verse 7, he says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old command, and that old command you've had from the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard. Then he seems to contradict himself in verse 8, saying, yet I am writing you a new command. I'm, I'm simply speaking to you, John says, the command that you've had from the beginning that you obey his commands. And in the context of verses 3 through 11, not only that you obey his commands, but that you love your brother as well. But I'm writing you, on the other hand, a new command because this command has now been personified for us. Obedience, faithfulness to this command to keep the, the law of the Lord and to love your brother has now been embodied in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. A new spin, a new twist has been put on our faithfulness to this command. John says, we can be sure that we have come to know Jesus, one, by obeying his commands, but two, because our life is modeled after that of Jesus. He says in verse 6, the one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. There are folks who seem to have a knack for being faithful to obey commands in a very literal sense while dishonoring the spirit of the command. Uh, th this is often seen in social media. People who regard themselves as truth tellers and in doing so are keeping certain biblical commands, but do so without any grace whatsoever who do so in such a mean-spirited and ugly way that they defy the very spirit of the law that compels us to speak truth to those around us. In certain instances, it is possible for us to obey the letter of the law while defying the spirit of the law. The beautiful thing about the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus is that not only did he faithfully obey every iota, every dot of God's command. At the same time, he did so with grace and mercy and in a spirit of truth. 
Not only do we need to be laboring to obey the very literal commands of God's word, but we need to embody the spirit of every command that God has given us. Our life is to be modeled after that of Jesus. The best example of how to get this wrong is the Pharisees. The Pharisees were regarded as the righteous of the righteous. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you have any expectation of seeing the kingdom of heaven whatsoever, your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. And yet they were nasty, mean-spirited, ugly people. Jesus said in Matthew 23, you are whitewashed tombs filled with dead men's bones. We have a knack for that. Religion, apart from the presence of God's Spirit, always breeds this kind of nastiness. And it's something that we need to be especially on guard against. Not only does it not help the, the kingdom cause in advancing the gospel, it's actually a hindrance to advancing the gospel. In that same passage in Matthew 23 where Jesus is castigating the Pharisees, he said, you cross the sea to make a convert, but when you bring them back, you've made them more a child of hell than they were in the first place. Our goal as followers of Jesus is not to lock people in to a ritualistic or legalistic religious practice, but to introduce them to the person and work of Jesus, who faithfully fulfilled the righteous requirement of the very letter of the law and did so at the same time with the spirit of grace and of truth. We can be sure that we have come to know Jesus when we obey his commands and when we, know, when we can take note that our life is truly modeled after that of Jesus. Now here's the danger. The very crowd that I have in mind that would take to social media to condemn and to castigate and to do so without a spirit of grace uh, coupled with truth uh, will say things like, well, Jesus drove the money changers from the temple with a cord of whips. To, to which I just say, come on, guys, really. There, 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 there needs to be some discernment here. There, there needs to be care taken and that we are communicating the truth of the gospel with the mind to convince unbelievers of the truth of this gospel. It is true that the gospel is offensive to an unbelieving world. It is true that there is great disdain for the gospel of Jesus Christ in many quarters. But may the disdain and the disgust and the opposition that is held for the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world be for the gospel itself and not for the bearer of the message. Be sure that we're communicating the truth of God's word, the weight and the high standard of God's call upon our lives personally with grace that would, that would be compelling to unbelievers, that they might come to see and to know that Jesus is uh, full of glory and infinitely worthy of our worship and our praise, that what he has in mind for us is for our good and not for our harm. God is not the wicked taskmaster, but the loving Father that welcomes us in grace to himself, who's provided for our atonement through his Son. We can be sure that we have come to know Jesus because we obey his commandments and because our life is modeled after that of Jesus Christ. There's a third uh, factor here in our text. Look at verse number nine. The Bible says, the one who says he is in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. 
The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and doesn't know where he's going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Here again, John, in such black and white terms, simply says, If you say you love Jesus, but you hate your brother, you're a liar and there is no truth in you. This is why the sins of bitterness and unforgiveness, the sins of partiality, the sins of prejudice, the sins of racism are such serious sins. The one who says he's in the light but hates his brother is in the darkness until now. John says, in essence, we can be sure that we have come to know Jesus because we love our brothers and sisters. We're willing to forego our rights and privileges for the well-being of our brothers and sisters. And i got to just tell you, in the context of the decisions that we've had to make this week, and especially yesterday's decision to not have a service, the most compelling factor for me personally was a love for neighbor, a love for brothers and sisters. We have the right, we have the privileges to be able to meet together. No one could stop us ultimately from meeting together. But it, it, it brings me great fear, and, and I am concerned about exercising my rights and privileges if that puts someone around me in a certain danger or compromises uh, their personal health. John says, if we say we love Jesus, it ought to flow naturally forth from us that we likewise love our brother. In verse 10, he says, the one who loves his brother remains in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. The language of remaining here, it's throughout this particular passage, it shows up in John chapter 15 in the language of abiding. Jesus says, abide in me, speaks there of the true vine and the branches abiding in the vine. It's translated or rendered somewhat differently here, but it's the same terminology in the Greek text. Abiding in Jesus is about faithfully keeping his commandments. Abiding in Jesus is about a walking as Jesus walked, modeling our life after that of Jesus. Abiding in Christ is about loving our brothers and sisters. When we walk in the light, actively loving our brothers and sisters, there is no cause for stumbling in us. Verse 11 says, But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in darkness, and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. If, 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 you've, if you've dealt with the sins of bitterness, unforgiveness, prejudice, racism, partiality, you know the blinding effect that this has. And apart from a touch from Jesus, apart from the power of the gospel, it's practically impossible that a person who finds themselves uh, position situated, uh, cemented in these sins can be freed from that. It's a gospel thing that has to, to enable us to grant the forgiveness that we have been granted through Jesus Christ. It's a gospel thing that helps us to begin to see uh, men and women and boys and girls of every tribe and tongue and nation, even as we are with a place with, within the kingdom. It's a gospel thing to be able to see the world in this way. It, it's, a, it's a gospel thing that ought to flow naturally from a healthy, loving relationship with Jesus Christ. Simply put, in, in the black and white terminology of the Apostle John, if we say we love Jesus but we hate our brother, we're a liar and there's no truth in us. Now, this is a very easy thing for me to communicate and a very difficult thing for people 
to embrace sometimes. Uh, if you've been offended in a, in a deep way, in a way that has, has marked you, it's hard sometimes to let go of those things. Sometimes forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It's an everyday decision that we make to, to walk free from that kind of bitterness. But I, I am I'm convinced that, that these kinds of sins, this kind of hostility, this kind of bitterness, this kind of unforgiveness, it, it, it's a dangerous sin. It's cancerous. It, it, it overwhelms and, and, and overcomes us. It's more than what we can truly bear with. My, my advice is if you can look back on uh, an offense that has been committed against you and you can remember the time, the place, what the person was wearing, the circumstances surrounding what unfolded in that moment, in all likelihood you've, you've got a root of bitterness that you ultimately are going to have to deal with. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you don't forgive those who sin against you, I won't forgive you. That's a hard saying. And what I think is intended there is just what John intends here. When we experience the forgiving grace of Jesus Christ, it enables us, it empowers us to extend the very same grace, mercy, and forgiveness to those around us. We are compelled to be a forgiving people regardless of what offense might occur against us. We can be sure that we've come to know Jesus when we obey his commandments, when our life is modeled after Jesus, when we love our brothers and sisters. Now, there are many reasons why these can be assurances for us, but here, here's, a, here's a, a major reason. These are not the kind of things that natural men and women do. These are not the kind of things that we do in, in our own power. By nature, we are not obedient people. By nature, we are sinful, sinful people. We don't have to be trained to do things that we're not supposed to do. I have three children in my home that can prove this. Any given day, you just stop by the Stevens household and we can demonstrate for you original sin and total depravity. We've got them from 15 months to 15 years, and they're all a living, breathing illustration of our sinful nature. We didn't train them to be that way. We have been laboring to train them to walk with Jesus. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are by nature a sinful, sinful people. It is not a common thing to see people laboring to model their lives after that of Jesus. Quite frankly, what Jesus has called upon us to do is in complete contradiction to the way this world's economy works. The constitution of the kingdom is vastly different than that of this world. In the world, we retaliate. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. In the world, we press our way to the front of the pack. Jesus said, in the kingdom, if you want to be first, you've got to be last. The, the old idea of the American dream is becoming what our hopes and ambitions have established as the end-all, be-all for us. And yet, Jesus says that if you want to achieve greatness in the kingdom, you don't need to be the master of all. You need to be the servant of all. In the kingdom, things are upside down. The way of Jesus is vastly different than the way of this world. The way up is down. The way forward is back. The way to be first is to be last. The way to exaltation is humiliation in the kingdom of God. No one is born into this world with the idea, I'm going to model my life after the servant example of Jesus Christ. Only the gospel brings that about in our experience. We're certainly not a people who are hardwired to love our brothers and sisters. There, there is a, a global movement. I find this whole thing fascinating 
toward nationalism. In, in every nation, there is a drive for pursuing, to some extent, the purity of that culture and the purity of that ethnic group that makes up the majority within that people. This is happening all over our world. It's, it's natural. It's who we are. We are not a people who, by our nature, look out for the interest of others. We are a self-serving people. It's just who we are. It's a product of, of our sin nature. And yet Jesus has called upon us as kingdom citizens to love our brothers and sisters. You simply cannot abide by the principles John has set forth in our text apart from the presence of the Spirit of God in you. This is why John is careful to later point out in the same epistle, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. By faith in Jesus Christ, through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ comes to abide within us and enables faithfulness to these commands. I hope that over the last couple of days and in the days ahead, that you'll examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. And I hope that you'll take a sober honest assessment of self this morning to evaluate the degree to which you're obeying his commands, the extent to which you are modeling your life after that of Jesus, and the capacity that you have to love your brothers and sisters. This, this is a, a, a deadly serious text on any Lord's day, on any day for that matter. But in light of the past days and what the future holds for us, uh, it really puts some things into a different perspective. I want you to know, uh, for those of you who are listening as believers, that the world around you is asking some serious questions that demand of us serious answers. I want to caution you and, and encourage you to refrain from attempting to be a virologist, a biological scientist, uh, from being a political pundit over the next few days, and be the theologian that Jesus has called you to be. This is the message. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells us so. Don't allow yourself to deviate from that message, to be dragged into the debates and the arguments and all of the silly things that we see happening around us. Let's be a people that stay on message in the next few days that make it clear to the world around us that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Communicate that message to those around us. That's our hope. That's the hope of the world around us. In reality, no matter what happens, whether it's the coronavirus or the next plague that rolls out, there'll be another within our lifetime if God is pleased to tarry and grant us a natural length of life. We'll experience another of these at some point along the way. It, it really doesn't matter because our, our life is not about the here and now. Our goal is not 65 and a retirement fund. Our, our, our retirement dreams are, are far grander than what Social Security can provide for us. There awaits for us by faith in Jesus a crown of righteousness and, and, and a treasure where moth nor rust can destroy, a treasure that is not dependent on the ups and downs of our market but one that is steadfast in the hands of one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. 
Our hope is in Christ and in Christ alone. That was true eight weeks ago. It'll be true 8,000 years from now. Share that good news with those that you come in contact with. Evaluate yourself against these commands. And may Christ be honored in our study of his word together. Would you join me once more in prayer? Father, thank you for your word, for its truth, for its power, or for the way that it speaks to our hearts this morning. God, I pray for those listening that you'd be pleased to save some, to shake some from their self-deception, those who have walked in religious practice without a touch from Jesus. God, I pray that you would, Lord, awaken the world around us to see, to know what we hold so dearly, that there is hope in Christ and in Christ alone. God, grant it so, we pray, to the glory of his name and for the advancement of his kingdom. Amen and amen. If you're, if you're listening this morning and you'd wish to communicate what the Lord is up to in your life, I hope that you'll be faithful to do that. Uh, it's, a, it's a rarity that we assemble as a body when someone does not communicate to pastoral leadership a desire to be joined to the fellowship of our church, uh, a desire to, to give expression to new faith in Jesus, or request to be baptized um, a, as an expression, a symbol of what Jesus has done already in their heart. There's, there's no reason why this Sunday needs to be unlike uh, Sundays that have come before or Sundays that will come after. Communicate in comment sections wherever you're watching um, this video. Reach out to us by email. Um, communicate to us by phone. Call us in the church office. We're going to be rolling phones this week, uh, the cell phones, and, and, and we'll be in, in the office and uh, on the ready to answer any requests that you might have of us. I, I want to address one more issue with you and encourage you that in spite of the fact that we are not meeting on a regular schedule as a congregation, essential cost in ministry continues on. And, and I want to encourage you to continue to tithe and to give sacrificially, even as you have over the past weeks. Uh, late last night, we added a new online giving option to our website, which should streamline that for some of you. If you have been uh, giving with a recurring gift or are accustomed to the old system, it is still available to you at the bottom of that screen. But there is a new online giving option that I think is going to be much more user-friendly for you there. Make sure that you go there um, and, and, uh, and continue to be faithful in that regard. I know that we are in the midst of a debt retirement campaign. I'll bring you some information about that in the weeks ahead. We are in the midst of a matching opportunity. Every gift that uh, was to be given in February and March or has been given up to $100,000 has been matched. As of last Sunday, we were about $7,500 short of that goal at about $92,500. Um, I'll continue to update you on those things. Uh, please continue to give uh, sacrificially even through this season. We'll do our best to keep you updated as things change. This is a very fluid situation. Please pray for us as decisions are being made. Know that we are praying for you. Please make us aware of any way that we can be of service to you. Have a great day in Jesus, and we'll see you soon.